Zion Baptist Church, we celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today. Come on, clap your hands like this at home. Come on.
This month, we will be highlighting the hashtag Black is a Vibe. Our first highlighted business will be Manumission Tour Company, located in Alexandria, Virginia. Our next company is Hot Dogs and Fries Restaurant, also located in Alexandria, Virginia. Our next store is a bookstore in the DMV area called Loyalty Bookstore, located in Washington, D.C. and Silver Spring, Maryland. And lastly, we have Divine Barbecue, located in Dumfries, Virginia and founded by mayor and chef Derek Wood. Make sure to check our Instagram and Facebook for the details for these businesses. Support and show love. And remember, Black History Month is every month. Have a blessed day, y'all. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. The time is drawing nigh. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning keep your lamps trimmed and burning the time is showing now children don't get weary children don't get weary children don't
to each and every one of you. We welcome you to this time of worship here at the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. Join me this morning as we begin a new series of sermons for this month. This will be the first installment of four as our new series is entitled Reset for a Greater Purpose. Reset for a Greater Purpose. And so let's join ourselves together in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, and I want to read verses 1 through 9 in that text. Acts chapter 9, the Acts of the Apostles chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. This is part 1, this is a two-part sermon, and so today we're going to deal with part 1 of the text, and then in next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll deal with the second part. But today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and I want to read verses 1 through 9. Here's what it says. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there for three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Word of the Lord. Today's sermon is entitled, Reset According to Saul. Reset According to Saul, Part 1. And remember, the series title is, Reset for a Greater Purpose. That's the objective. That's the intent of what I hope we get out of the sermon this Sunday and next Sunday, how the life of Saul clearly demonstrates how God works within and works through circumstances to reset our life that we end up pursuing the greater purpose. Reset according to Saul, part one. It's amazing how physical, complex, sophisticated objects can be composed of life lessons. My reflection this morning is drawn from the object of my own cell phone, or better said, smartphone is what it really is. It's labeled as such because of the numerous tasks it can perform. You know, email, texting, bill pay, purchasing items, viewing entertainment, and the list goes on and on and on. And basically, it is said that if you can't 
find it, look for it. There's an app somewhere that can address pretty much every issue that we may have. But I've come to find out over time, these smartphones can start to lock up. They drop calls and they provide poor reception and you can experience a host of malfunctions. For me, it came to a point where I had to turn my phone off and back on to restart it to get it to once again work properly. So I decided one day to take it to the Apple store and visited, of course, the technician who was there. And the technician in the store quickly rendered a solution to rectify my problem by simply saying this to me, you are going to need to reset the phone. Now I proceeded to explain to him without question that turning the phone on and off is what I had been doing, resetting it. And he quickly reminded me, no, you were not resetting it, you just simply rebooted it. I looked with a bit of puzzlement, and his conclusion was, remember, only when you reboot, you merely just help eliminate the immediate lockup, but it doesn't deal with the buildup accumulated problems that you're having with the phone. The tech was trying to tell me what I now understand in tech language that I had to have what they call a hard reset or better known as a factory reset. What it does is it strips the phone of all the applications and settings that I've added to the phone along with everything else that the hackers have slipped in and it restores my phone to its original state as it left the manufacturer. He further let me knew that even though it will be reset, you will lose any data that is not backed up. And I thought all of this was a bit complex and he quickly reminded me now that remember, if it's not backed up either in the cloud or on some other device, you're going to lose it. And for a moment I frowned with fear until he asked, now keep in mind, the way your phone is operating now, do you want to have an unpredictable, undependable phone? Because you may lose a few apps, a little bit of data, in resetting, and the question becomes, are you willing to do that? But he said, if you lose, or if you're willing to lose, you can regain what you lost possibly after reset. For the factory reset basically ended up providing for me after he did that, basically a new phone. Although I didn't lose very much and what I did lose, I was able to retrieve it through another app again. But my fear was that that reset would wipe away everything and it didn't. In fact, the process of reset can make you feel a bit of a tug. It can create what I call a bit of a calling and a conviction that something needs to change in order to correct the malfunction.
The reboot I had come to learn just restarts it again, but yet leaving the issues untouched. But a reset will address the malfunction and put you back in the state of originality. I want to raise the question to you this morning, what do you need to reset today? Could it be your marriage? Could it be your relationships? Could it be your finances? Could it be your focus? Could it be your faith? Could it be your fight, your fight to endure? God doesn't want us to be relegated to the sideline, bruised and battered from life's challenges. You have heard and you may have even had your own share of pain and heartache, disappointment and feeling defeated. But I wanna to say to you, remaining a victim, diving deep into self-pity, gaining or should I say getting ran over repeatedly by the same issue is not a solution. Not to try to minimize the experience to which you've had, but have you noticed that those self-pity solutions rarely lead you any place. In fact, I want you to simply understand how important it is to move from hardship to hallelujah because crying cannot be a permanent expression. Have you noticed that sweat and tears both contain the same element, water and salt? However, tears may well get you sympathy, but sweat will certainly contribute to your success. You can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. I want you to get that. You can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. That's the reason why resetting your view about life is so critical because it can furnish you new results. What happens is you get rid of the viruses and the bugs that keeps causing the malfunctions in your life. And let me tell you, reset is not an easy task. It's not easy, but it's necessary in order to experience what I call your greater purpose. As you are willing to lose some things, in order to gain the greater things, I want to ask you, think about that because you've got to answer the question, am I willing to lose the data, the people, the relationships, even the job in order to gain the greater? Am I willing to do that? You've got to ask yourself the question because life is often about choices. And right now, you may be wrestling with what do I reset, what do I do in terms of reset, and do I reset or do I remain where I am? Do I have the strength and the courage to step forward for reset, or must I remain where I am because I fear lost? That in mind, Luke, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, provide for us the beginning life story 
of one who experienced a reset that changed his life forever. We're going to look at the life of a man who has two names. His Jewish name is Saul, and his Roman name is Paul. He's an individual who is an official representative of Judaism, and thus he took a hard line in defending his religious heritage. He was a proud man about who he was and what he was, as he described himself to the Philippian Christians on one occasion in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, he said this. He says, I am circumcised the eighth day from the nation of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And when it comes to the law, I'm a Pharisee. He makes clear what his both political as well as his religious posture is in regard to his journey. And yet when we are introduced to Saul in Acts chapter 7, he is arguably standing at a pivotal point in his life where God is permitting his exposure to someone who is a better example of genuine Judaism. His name is Stephen. Stephen is a deacon of the church, and when you read Acts chapter 7, he provides a sermon, an actual sermon. Some call it a speech, but he's speaking to the audience, and his words are producing hostility from those who are listening to him. They are hostile because he provides two critical indictments in his speech or his sermon. He says, one, you are a stiff-necked people and you also have uncircumcision in your heart and in your ears. Now, those two indictments aren't anything new because when you read through the Old Testament, particularly in the Exodus and the book of Numbers, Moses often refers to the people of Israel as a stiff Nected people. Some of the prophets later reiterate that indictment, and yet when these New Testament particulars hear this word, they become extremely hostile and angry. Listen to Stephen's words as we pick up his indictment in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 51. Here's what he says. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Now that raged in those individuals a rage in which they wanted to react and respond to Stephen with hostility. Verse 52, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and they killed those who had previously renounced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. He, in essence, tell them that you are nothing more than the continuation of what your fathers were. Might I drop into this text parenthetically that this actually suits those 
who are now nothing more than practitioners of white supremacy in America. They are rep replicas of their fathers who were Klan members, their fathers who were working behind the scenes and establishing the strength of white supremacy. And anyone who brings up the indictment of their unjust behavior experiences the aggression in return. You don't have to look far. Just look back to a few winds ago when that aggression came out on Capitol Hill. All because what they thought was privilege didn't work for them, but managed to work for someone else. Listen to what Stephen further says in verse 53. You who receive the law as ordained by angels, and yet you don't keep it. In other words, they had divine revelation, and yet they were not willing to keep the text. Listen to their reaction in verse 54 through verse 56. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. That's a New Testament phrase that meant what Stephen said hit them hard and pricked their conscience. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. They began to grit in their mouth how they're going to respond. But listen to what the text says. Verse 55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now what I want you to pick up in, in this text is I want you to notice who's in the audience, who's there watching in attendance those who attempt and who will stone Stephen. But there's one person there who seems to have a menial role. And his role is to hold the coats of those who are holding the stone. And look at the text closely. It says in verse 58, and when they had driven him out of the city, well, that's because what they said in verse 57, they heard what Stephen said and they had became frustrated and decided that enough was enough, 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. That simply means with one objective and that is to quiet him. And haven't you noticed that whenever you stand up for justice, those who are practitioners of the unjust want to quickly quiet you. And they will practice any means necessary to get you quiet, including stoning you. Well, they don't have to pick up stones and stone you, but they have multiple ways in which they will attempt to stone your life that your voice may be silent. Listen to what the word says. Somebody was in that crowd. And verse 58 says, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is in this crowd. He's there because
because he's in agreement with them. For all intent purposes, he's there as a complicit party. Look at what verse 1 says of chapter 8. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. He knew why he was there. He was there because Saul agreed to kill Stephen because he was threatening their religious status. And Stephen reminded them of how their ancestors killed the prophets, became murderers and betrayers, and disregarded the sacred revelation that came to them. And in hearing such, they became angry at gritting their teeth. And yes, Saul is in the crowd. And his anger has risen to the level of hatred, so much so that I believe it increased after the death of Stephen. Listen to verse 3 of chapter 8. But Saul began ravaging, in other words, persecuting the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women he would put into prison. His anger is high. Now, I'm mentioning this background, this point of emphasis, because I want you to understand reset is often recognized at the crossroad of a crisis. Something has occurred that now has caused a different outcome than what was anticipated. Saul's anticipation was that once, beginning in chapter 9, he gets letters from the religious officials to go to Damascus. He could arrest the Christians, all that he find that were following the way, being Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem, incarcerate perhaps as well as put them to death. That was his intention. That's what he thought would happen. But Luke tells us a simple phrase that gives the shift. In chapter 9, he reminds us of something here in verse 3, clause A. It came about that as Saul journeyed because the word journey there in the Greek means that he begins to set off on a course a trajectory that has a purpose destiny in mind and his destiny of course is to to arrest and destroy the Christians and what he doesn't know is that God has another plan in mind in fact his being there witnessing Stephen's Stoning and eventual death was no accident. It's amazing how God will set you up, permit you to be in spaces to experience situations in which you certainly did not intend to be there, but you ended up being there and it eventualized in a greater purpose that God has for your journey. If it's true, Life is lived between saving and sinking. Listen to that again. If it's true, life is lived between saving and sinking. And sinking is a part of succeeding. We're going to find that out as we continue to read this story later on that a part of being saved oftentimes means being sunk 
in certain situations. This is what I hear when I read that particular saying and I plant it into this narrative of Acts 9. I'm reminded of the impartation of the old hymn. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shores, very deeply stained within seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me now safe am I listen to the particulars from the waters what waters are you in what waters are you experiencing that you are sinking in and now you need to be saved notice You've got to sink first before salvation can occur. Notice also it appears that this person in the hymn, I'm thinking, trying to think at least in the same mindset of the hymn writer, the person doesn't need saving until they have sunk into despair. And that is exactly what God is doing in Saul's life at this juncture because he is sinking deep to a point of becoming a murderer for his religious cause. We read that in verse 3. Now listen to that in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's sinking. He's sinking. And I'm convinced that if Paul were here, he would tell us hindsight, he was grateful that God intervened at that moment. When God does that, we don't appreciate the intervention because all we know, our circumstance is being challenged and changing and the trajectory is nothing like we had anticipated. Somehow, somehow Saul, some way, his religious life had spiraled out of control to the point where he hated anyone who was opposed, and especially those who were opposed to his religious way that were followers of Jesus Christ. You may well yourself be at the crossroad now and you are recognizing that now as you look at your life, you have gone too far to the right or you have gone too far to the left and you have misaligned yourself where you've become imbalanced. And I want you to watch how God takes and puts Paul or Saul, let me say life, back together once he resets him, but first, there has to be a reset. And that may be where you find yourself. Have you noticed your anger has escalated? Your frustration has escalated. Your vision for your life has either been dimmed or diminished. And now you are sinking deep into an abyss where you are now becoming a prime candidate for reset. And Saul became a candidate for a couple of reasons. And I want to share those reasons with you and then I'm done. I want to suggest to you that Saul 
first of all, experienced reset because of Stephen's prayer. Saul experienced reset because of Stephen's prayer. See, it was Stephen's closing prayer before his transition into eternity, I believe, that Stephen had Saul likewise in his mind when he gave his prayer. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, look back in chapter 7 and verse 59 and listen to Stephen's prayer. They kept on stoning him, but Stephen called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But verse 60 says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, I'm convinced that Saul, in Stephen's mind, is a part of the them. And Saul is, uh, Stephen is praying for Saul while he's standing there holding the cloaks of those who are holding the stones. He may not have thrown a stone, but again, he's guilty by association and complicit by the manner in which he likewise wanted Stephen to be stoned to death. And yet Stephen is praying for him. Unbeknown to you, whether you know this or not, you will as of today, somebody is witnessing your sinking and is praying for you. Whether you know or not, maybe you feel no one is, whether you feel you have no one, absolutely no one praying for you, I do want to tell you, someone is praying for you. Before we had the pandemic, there were five to ten people in this sanctuary every Wednesday from 6.30 to 7.30 praying for you while you were sinking in your despair that you might experience the salvation of God. Since the pandemic, there's been some 10 to 15 people who meet every Wednesday on a Zoom prayer call who intercede for you from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, remembering you sinking in your situation. What are they praying about? That God's grace and God's mercy will cover you and you not suffer the consequence for your every ill or that the situation that you are in in which you may not have been the manufacturer of it, that God gives you strength to persevere. But the sinking enables you to call on his name. Remember the other line of that hymn? But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. That's because Stephen was praying for Saul. Somebody is praying for you. I'm convinced that Saul is going to experience reset because of Stephen's prayer. But secondly, I'm convinced that Paul is going to experience 
reset because of his act of persecution. You go back to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, he gets permission with a result in mind, death. Remember, he consented to Stephen's death already. And I want to interject and ask the question, who are you persecuting? Or who is persecuting you? We often only think of those who are inflicting on us while neglecting to remember what we are inflicting on others. This is a good reason to reset your life because I know that you want happiness more than hurting to reign in your life. And keep in mind while you are contemplating that, you can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. You can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. In other words, you got to choose. This is what God is going to do to Saul on the Damascus road. I'm convinced that we have a regurgitation of Deuteronomy 32 when Moses sets before Israel the idea of choice. He says around the 15th verse, I set before you life and death. He says, let me advise you, choose life. Because if you choose life, you'll not only have a long journey, but a prosperous journey. And I think God is going to make it clear before Saul, I'm setting before you an opportunity to stop your persecution because I'm going to transform you that you may start preaching. God sometimes permits the interjection of circumstances to stop us, to remind us of the power of choice. And maybe God is working that out now in your context for the greater purpose that he has in your life. But then there's a third thing. I'm convinced that Saul is going to experience reset because of his prolific purpose. You see, he's on a mission to destroy. But God also has a mission to interrupt his journey to deliver him. He was already in the sinking mode, but we just don't hear a despairing cry, not yet. But that might not be your story. You are already in that despairing cry mode, and you are crying out as Saul will eventually cry out. Lord, what would you have me to do? I want you to understand that God has a greater purpose because we forget the meaning in which God places in our life for the journey and we get off course. And that's the reason why you're now crying in that help mode and approaching what he believed to be the purpose of arresting and disposing of Christians, Saul is met by this revelatory experience 
that he will never forget because it resets his life forever. Look what the text says in verse 3 and 4. As it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The purpose of your life, Saul, the purpose of your life, fellow Christian, is not to take another life, but to help provide life. Says God to, Paul, to Saul, I don't want you to run from me. I want you to rest in me. And my purpose for your life is not to persecute me, but to promote me to others. And God, in essence, is going to tell Saul, I'm going to send you among people whom you would never approach in any other situation. Your gift that I've given you is going to make room for you before a whole lot of people. But before you experience that, I need to reset your life for my glory and for my purpose. And my brothers and sisters, that's what God is trying to do for you in this moment of reset. Frustration has built in. Worry has begun to occupy your mind. Envy, perhaps, to others because of this or that. The pandemic has created such variance, pathology, as well as emotional outburst. And yet God is saying, what I want to do is give you a fresh revelation. And the way that I can do that is to reset your life and let you see me in my glory and see yourself in a greater purpose. I want to close with two simple sayings, and I think they'll benefit you if you permit them to resonate in your spirit. Here's number one. Richard Norton says to us, every sunset is an opportunity to reset. Every sunset, every day that God enables you to come to the end of the day's journey is an opportunity to reset. That says to me that reset is a daily ongoing experience that God is working within us, but with the expectation that we will labor to reset our life in the right direction for a greater purpose. But then he adds, every sunrise begins with new eyes. Every sunrise begins with new eyes. In other words, what I saw yesterday, I must put it to rest, reset, and arise with a new set of lenses the next morning to see the great things that God has in store. Then there's a second saying. The second saying comes from Stuart Stafford, who is an Irish actor, and yet he provides such a profound word. Listen to what he says. He says, they say the truth sets you free, but love liberated me, love hit reset, and said 
Don't forget the new version of who you are. Listen to that. They say truth sets you free, but love liberated me. It hit reset, and it said, don't forget the new version of who you are. Don't expect for reset in terms of transformation to happen overnight. Some things it can and will, but most it takes time. Remember, we didn't get off course overnight, but over time. And I want to highly suggest that in this reset for the greater purpose of God's will, it's a daily laboring. It reminds me a lot of Paul's words in Galatians 3. The admonition to constantly put off and yet the same admonition to constantly put on. Put off the old and put on the new. Because that reset mode reminds us that there is a new somebody that God is bringing forth on a daily basis. We are becoming more like him when we are willing to reset. And that's my prayer for you this morning, let the Lord reset your life that you can experience the greater purpose that he has for you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the moment in which the word from Acts 9 speaks a word of hope unto us. Now, God, I pray in Jesus' name, someone catches the revelation of reset in their life. That if they are already a believer, they will reset to permit themselves to get back on course and to have a balanced life that they're neither too far to the right or to the left. There's somebody who is first hearing this word in reference to the gospel. And I pray that this will cause them to reset, but repent that their life becomes anew in Jesus Christ. We give them to you. And pray that your will would be done. And we trust in your word that it will accomplish whatever task you desire for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my prayer today is that as the word of God goes forth, that it will go out and find, touch whomever God intends for it to touch. That your life may be reset and you will never be the same. Let us know. How God is working in the midst of your context, we would greatly appreciate that. We want to be your church family. We want you to be a part of this church family. So if you would just kindly let us know, hey, God has done something and is doing something magnificent in my life. That would be a joy for us to rejoice with you. Our certain gratitude is to each of you who constantly support this ministry. Thank you for your contribution. If you are a tither and a giver, we appreciate how you consistently make this ministry possible. Our thanks to you. Those of you who may view this broadcast and yet you are not a member, but you're being blessed by the word, would you contribute? Make, consider making a contribution to the work of this ministry that we can continue to provide you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm out of time, but I thank you for tuning in on this Sunday morning. And I want you to glory in the fact that God loves you and so do I. I want you to have a blessed, wonderful day and week in the Lord. Celebrate how God is going to reset your life in Jesus' name. Amen.